Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic, biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website. NBBCTX.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give. To what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we're going to be talking about a God-centered, gospel-centered vision. So uh, as, as you turn in your Bible, one of the things that, that we live uh, in, in an age today is that people kind of live in a world that doesn't seem very real. I, this week I had some people who are friends with me um, just send me some of their pictures of their family. Uh, selfies, that's what we call them, right? And so these are, these are pictures. This is a friend I work with. This is my brother. He's got, you can't see this, so you just have to take my word for it, okay? But um, this is a family. This is like a, a, a guy who works on my team, and, and he's got, I don't know how many grandkids and kids and all this kind of stuff. But one of the things they all said to me was, you don't know how long it took for us to get everybody smiling and not fighting in that moment, right? But if we're not careful, we begin to think that this is what my life should be all the time. And that's not real, is it? I mean, it's not realistic to think that every snapshot of our life is what reality is. So last night I, I went into a coffee shop for just a minute to grab a cup of coffee and this young couple came in. Uh, I assumed they were dating or married and, and they, got a, they got their coffee and as soon as they sat down at their table, they, she, she had him pose and they took a selfie and I'm like, we're all impressed that you got coffee, right? I mean, that's, but that's almost how we look at life is they, they posed for one moment to send out to the world what my life is really like. Now, I don't know if they had a knockdown drag out two hours before, and he said, why don't we go get some coffee and we'll work this out? I have no clue. But sometimes if we're not careful, we begin to think that my life has to look like what I see everywhere around me. Well, reality is, is that most of our lives are not that picture. In fact, if you can get the picture, if you have kids, you know, especially if they're small, if they'll just smile once, then we're good, right? And they, we're just happy to get that moment. I actually love the pictures where everybody is, is smiling except for one kid, and they're just like, ah! you know, that's real life, right? Or if everybody's kind of at each other, that's kind of more realistic of what it's like. But today, I tell you that because that sometimes we think that what we see is reality, when honestly, if we, if we were to pull the covers back, if we were to look behind the curtain, we know that life is really not that simple. Life is really not that perfect. And most of us live in a, in a world that is challenging. So I, wanna, I want us to look at a, a picture of where Jesus steps into the story of a woman who's at the well, John chapter 4. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, so I'm going to ask you to, to kind of lean in with me for just a moment because I'd like to read most of the story today beginning in verse 4. It says, and he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, 
Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that you are saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep, and, and where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as is his sons and his livestock. And, stock. and Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but he, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I that, that I will give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and, or have to come here and draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Oops. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Okay, so I'm not going to, I've only got one sermon to preach. There's a lot of stuff packed in here, but I don't want us to miss what's going on in this passage. If you look in verse 4, it says that Jesus kind of began the story uh, by, by saying he had to go through Samaria. So you've got to understand what that means. This was not the preferred route for Jewish people. Jewish people and Samaritans had racial tension. I wish I could tell you that racism uh, is, is gone in our day and didn't exist in Jesus' day. But the unfortunate thing about human nature is there is a, there is a racial tension that has been around for a long time and it's still as evil today as it was then. But Jesus stepped into that moment and he said, I'm not going to take the longer trip, which, what, which is what most Jewish people would do to avoid interacting with Samaritans. They would take a much longer trip. Jesus said, we're going to go through Samaria. And in that moment, we know that he was confronting racism in that day. So it, him just being at this well with this woman was controversial. So there were racial problems that Jesus was trying to confront. But the thing that I don't want you to miss most of all is not only is Jesus there, but Jesus sees this lady. Now, if we're not careful, we can go through life and miss some of the people standing in the background 
we know from the description we're about to talk about is that this lady was not looking to interact with anybody. In fact, it says that, that she came at the sixth hour, but, and, and I'll explain what that means in just a moment, but that means that she didn't want to meet people. So Jesus shows up and he sees her. I believe it's a divine appointment that Jesus wanted to interact with her, but he was looking for people. He was look, Throughout his ministry, he was looking for people that he could reach out to. It says that she came in the sixth hour. Why does that matter? It's because that was the heat of the day. So most people tried to come and get their water in the early part of the day because it was cooler. I don't know what you guys did for the 4th of July, but I built a fence. God bless America. Uh, it, was, it was hot. And we sweated, no matter how much water we drank, it was just not enough. And, and sun, you know, we tried to keep from getting sunburned. I have a 16-year-old daughter, and I promise you, her list did not include things to do on the 4th of July with building a fence. But we got it done. It's all done, and it's mostly straight. Don't look and don't judge me, all right? But, but here's, we tried to get done as early as we could in the cool of the day because it's easier. It's, and so that. That's what most people did in this woman's city is they would come early in the day. She's intentionally coming in the heat of the day because she doesn't want to be around people. Because she's got a past. She's got a history. She's been the center of gossip before. Her life has gone in a way where people whispered behind her back. So she comes at the sixth hour because she's ashamed because she's probably even in a lower class of society because of her status in marriage, and she's a social outcast. But Jesus, look, look, look at the gospel. When you, when you read the, the four, four books of the gospel, gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus interacts with people that other people don't see. You remember Zacchaeus was a wee little man and... Now, you guys are like really all asleep. And, and, and like, so wake up, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a. That's better. That's a little bit more energy. But there's a crowd around Jesus, and Jesus sees this dude hanging out in a tree. I mean, could he have overlooked him? Sure. Could Jesus have showed up at this well and not interacted with her? Definitely. But Jesus saw people. They weren't scenery. They weren't background. He could have gone around Samaria, uh, Samaria, but he had a purpose. He had an appointment. Jesus was interruptible. Can I just interrupt us for just a moment? I think some of the greatest God moments in our life happen when we don't expect them to. I mean, I don't know about you. If Google ever dies, my calendar's dead. I have no clue what I'm doing three days from now right? But, but we schedule our life. We do this. We put it on the calendar. We're headed to that. We're, you know, technology, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this. They told us that technology would make our lives easier and less busy. I don't think that's true. I think we just packed more in. And the problem is that we get so busy and we get so scheduled that we're not interruptible for the work of God through our lives. Jesus was interruptible. He was willing to take a moment when he was just trying to get something to drink and notice that there was someone there. Jesus is human. I mean, he's thirsty. He has a human body, and he's, it's hot. And instead of ignoring her, he, he asked her for a drink. Sometimes if we're going to reach into people's lives, we've got to 
deal with the physical need before we can deal with the spiritual need. Jesus interacts with her, and, and he just asks her for a simple drink of water. And this woman, unnamed, isn't it interesting that we don't know her name? Verse 9, she says to Jesus, Do you know who I am? Number one, I'm a Samaritan. You're not supposed to be hanging out with me, talking with me, interacting with me, much less, honestly, drinking out of the same cup as me. Secondly, I'm a woman. Now, ladies, don't be offended at me, okay? But ladies in this, in this day and time in, in this story did not have status to even speak to a man. It was improper, especially in public. So Jesus is, is confronting racism. He's, he's going outside of the, the social norms of the day, and he's, he's interacting with the woman. Why? Because he cares about her heart. Can you imagine a woman, we're about to, re, we, we read it, she, she's been through five failed marriages, no telling what else is in her past. Can you imagine the emotional baggage that she had? I mean, she didn't just have a suitcase, she had a U-Haul hooked to the back of all the emotional garbage in her life, right? And she shows up to the well hoping she doesn't see anybody so she can just go back to her home and be unnoticed again. And Jesus asked her for a drink. Do you, sir, do you, do you know who I am I love Jesus' reaction because he wasn't looking at the exterior of her. He was looking at the interior of her heart. He says in verse 10, do you know who I am? Now what Jesus has is the supernatural ability that we do not have to look into her life and know her. But sometimes you can just tell. Have you ever been around someone and, and they didn't say anything? You, you don't know anything about their lives, but you just know there's just not some, there's something just not right. Something's off. They're, they're, they're just carrying a pain. You can look in their eyes and see the hurt, the abuse, the challenges of life. Jesus said, do you know who I am? If you did know who I am, you would ask me for more than you have. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around important people, people who have power, may have uh, authority. Uh, they're, they're people just like you and me, I promise. They, they put their pants on one leg at a time, right? I mean, they're, they're normal people, but, but some people do have authority to do things, but nobody has authority like Jesus Christ has authority. And he says, if you really understood who I am, then, then you would ask for greater things. Now, here's what Jesus knew about her. Jesus knew that she spent her life trying to fill a void inside of her heart, and she tried everything. I mean, we only know a, a snippet of it, but you can guess what else would have gone with that. Five failed marriages, shacked up with another guy, hoping that this one would fix what had been broken in the past. If I can just find the right relationship, if I can just get the guy with the right job, if we can just make enough money, if I can just live in the right neighborhood, if we can just have the right possessions, then everything will be fine. Let me just tell you something. Some of the people that have physically the most in this world are the most unhappy people that I know. Why? Because they try to fill their life with stuff. And stuff will never fill the void. Jesus interacts with this lady, and he, he, he knows that she's been trying to fill her life with things. And so he, he says, if, if you really knew what to ask for, you would ask me for living water. Now, she's still a little bit confused. She doesn't know who Jesus is. But Jesus is saying, if you will ask me, I will give you water that will keep you from thirsting again. Now, Google tells me that we, uh, as humans, need about two to four quarts of water a day. Anybody thirsty? 
it's nothing like a good drink of water, right? Now, if I, if this is what it takes for me to drink, what happens when I drink all this water? Somebody said, I got to go to the bathroom, right? But tomorrow, what's going to happen? I, I need to get some more, right? Eventually, my body needs more water. I, I can't just drink once and be satisfied. So Jesus is not talking about filling her life immediately. He's talking about quenching the thirst of her soul. There's a difference. Because, I don't know about you, some of you may be water snobs. I've had some people say, this is the best water. It all tastes like water to me, right? I'm pretty sure half of it's just coming out of Fort Worth, Texas tap water. I, I mean, it's just, we, we don't know. But, but here's the thing, no matter how good the water, if you get it from a glacier melted off of an iceberg or whatever, I don't know, you're still going to be thirsty again. Jesus wasn't talking about giving her physical water. He was talking about the quenching of her soul. If you've ever been in that place where you've been so hot and thirsty and your mouth's dry, it's not how much water I take in, it's that first drink, right? That tastes the best. Hot, hot day, mouth dry, you just take that drink, it's just, it just goes all through. Jesus is talking about the quenching of her soul. He says, if you'll just ask, then I will give you living water. This is a fulfillment of who Jesus is. He, she doesn't know this in the moment, but the Gospel of John, the writer of John, has, has told us that, that Jesus is a lot of things. He says in John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. He says in John chapter 3, I'm the breath of life. He says in uh, John chapter 1, I'm the light of life. And here he says, I am living water that will keep you from thirsting ever again. The fulfillment of who Jesus is is being offered to her. So she thinks, man, if you can keep me from coming to this well every day, give me that water. And Jesus said it's greater than that. She wants it. Because Jesus, number one, he, he saw her, but Jesus is willing to know her. Now, I can't explain this. 28 million people live in Texas. 19 million of them don't know Christ. How does God keep up with all that? I have no clue. I can't remember where I put my car keys, much less figure out who everybody is. But the, the, the king of kings, the God of all the universe, knows who we are. He knows who we are and loves us in spite of us. And, and in this moment, Jesus seeks to step into her life. And, and I want you to know his heart is good. God, no, Nobody loves you like God loves you. So everybody here got a mama, right? Raise your hand if you got a mama. The rest of you, maybe aliens or something, I'm not sure. But we all got a mama. I mean, hopefully your mama loves you. I, my mama loves me like nobody else loves me. I mean, I can't do any wrong most of the time. And, and, but I hope you have family that loves you. I hope you have people that love you and care about you, friends. But nobody loves you like Jesus. Jesus doesn't want to embarrass her, but he's got to confront her sin. And in this moment, he says, I want, I want you to know the reality. He says, if you want this living water, go get your husband and bring him back and I'll give you living water. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, correct. You've had five failed marriages. Now you're shacked up with the six. Oops. Have you ever felt exposed? Have you ever felt embarrassed? Have you ever gotten caught doing something you shouldn't be doing? Now, thankfully, Jesus didn't do this in a public 
forum where other people were around. It was just him and her. But in that moment, she's confronted with reality. Now, here's, here's why. We cannot experience salvation without the understanding of the weight of our sin. We can't experience salvation until we understand our need for forgiveness. And in this moment, please know that Jesus' heart is not to try to condemn her or to push her down or to make her feel bad, but he, she needs to feel the weight of where she's been so that she knows where she needs to go. And so in this moment, Jesus is helping her see her need for a Savior. You know, if she could have rescued her life, she would have done it already, right? I mean, she kept going from relationship to relationship, husband to husband, nothing fixed it. And then she says something that I think is kind of funny. He, he says, you don't have a husband, you've had five, now you're shacked up with another one. She goes, I think you're a prophet. There's something different about you, right? How do you know all this stuff about me? A little bit weird. I mean, for all you people who think the government's watching you, they are. But, uh, you, you know, you, it's, it's just that moment where there's something different about you. How do you know all this stuff about me? You must be a prophet. So Jesus sees her, and he, he, he tries to know her in this moment in a, in a way that will help her see her need for a Savior. And then she, she gets the greatest message of all, and that is that Jesus saves Man, I, I love New Beginnings. This is a great church. I know you guys love coming here and being a part of it. You're a guest today. I'm so glad you're here. This is a wonderful church that loves Jesus and shares the gospel and disciples people and how to follow after God. It's a, it's a great place, but this place will not save you. Coming to church on Sunday will not save you. Dropping something in the offering plate will not save you. Only Jesus saves you. And so in this moment, Jesus helps her to see that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And he gives her the greatest message. And what she begins to discover in this moment is that when I meet Jesus, everything changes. Do you remember the moment when you asked Christ into your heart and everything changed? I'm just telling you, it was a long time ago. I'm an old, for many of you, you think I'm old, right? I just, I remember the moment when I asked Jesus into my heart. I remember that moment. Because it changed everything. I'm, I'm 48 years old and I still haven't gotten over grace. I still haven't gotten over the fact that Jesus loves me. And he cares for me. And in this moment, this, this woman realizes there's no salvation any other place except under heaven. And so I believe in this moment her faith saves her. Because her actions tell it. She, she had to go she, she had to go tell everybody. Look in verse 27 in your Bible. It says, just, just then, so she's talking to Jesus. She's recognized that he's the Messiah. He said, I, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Just then his disciples came back, verse 27, and they marveled at what he was talking, that he was talking with the woman. But nobody said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to people, come and see a man that told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Immediately, she stops in that moment and, and she says, I have to tell everybody that will listen of who Jesus is. I have to share the good news that's happened to me to people who honestly had talked down to her. Honestly, may not have even been friendly to her. But in this moment, she could not 
contained the message of of what happened. And if you jump down, I'm only going to preach one sermon, so I want you to jump down to verse 39 because it changed people's lives. Listen to this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. And he told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Essentially what happened was salvation got personal. It wasn't just your story. Now I have a story. What's so amazing is that Jesus stepped into her world and everything changed. How did he do that? Number one, he did it because he saw her. Because Jesus sees us. I don't know. I, I can't explain it. 275 million. I can't even remember what the number was on the screen of the people that live in our, our nation, the people that live in the world. I, I don't know how God keeps all, up with all that. I, I don't know how he knows that I live in Hazlitt, Texas, in a suburb, in a, in a house that's surrounded by other people. I, I don't know how God does that, but I know he knows my name. I know he knows where I live. I know he knows what's going on in my life. He's not, he's not absent. He's present. Jesus sees us. He sees our lives. Now be careful to understand that Jesus did not see who she hoped to be. Jesus did not see who she was trying to be. Jesus saw her for who she was. Listen to me very carefully. I don't know where you've been and I don't know what you've done, but God cares less about where you've been. He cares more about where you're going. We're, we're all sinners, every single one of us. We've all made mistakes. One of my heroes is Billy Graham. I, I love his, his preaching. I, I've been inspired by many of the things he does. It says that he had to spend hours in prayer every day so that he would be in a right relationship with God. And I thought, whoa. If Billy Graham has to spend hours a day, I probably just should never leave the house, right? God knows us. He, he sees us. He's not, he's not meeting us in who we hope to be. He's meeting us right where we are. Jesus also knew her. It means he looked beyond her past. He knew her sin. Listen, we don't confess our sin to God because he's like, Really? You did what? Listen, the Bible tells us that God knows everything. Why do we confess our sin? It's so that we can present it as we're guilty. We need forgiveness. God's not surprised. You can surprise me. I, I, I mean, you can shock me. But you're not going to surprise God. Jesus knew who she was and he loved her. She was a woman of the world. She had a checkered past. But Jesus saw past her mistakes, and he looked into who she could become. That's what God believes about us. One of the greatest gifts that I believe she got that day was hope. Hope that I don't have to rely on the next relationship or the next affirming word or somebody believing that I could be uh, something different. All I need is the affirm, affirmation of Christ's identity in me. You know, it matters less about what your family thinks about you, about what the world thinks about you. It matters more what Jesus thinks about you. I mean, I, you guys are wonderful. You're friendly. It's a great church. But I don't really care what you think about me. <laughs> Honestly, if I do, then I'm going to live a life that's just filled with disappointments. Because if you follow me around long enough, I'm going to make a mistake. 
I'm going to do the wrong thing. I'm going to say the wrong thing. So I can't really, I can't really care about what you think. I can only care about what God thinks. Because if God is pleased with my life, then it doesn't matter what the opinions of the world are. Now, I, I have a wonderful family. I, I, my wife and I will be married 25 years this year. I'm so blessed to have her in my life. I have two wonderful kids. I can't worry about what they think about me more than I worry about what God thinks about me. Jesus saw the need. He, he knew who they were. He, he, he knew who she was. He, he wasn't trying to condemn her. He was actually coming with compassion and mercy and grace. But then Jesus offered her the message that nobody else could. He, he saved her. You know, salvation is, is universal and personal, it, it, meaning that we, we all have to figure out what we're going to do with Jesus. Salvation doesn't come to everybody. We have to make a decision. The, the Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Everybody's got to deci- decide, am I going to choose to follow Jesus or am I going to reject salvation in Christ? And, and it, it's a decision that we all have to make. My daddy's a pastor and my granddaddy's a pastor and my other grandfather was a deacon and my parents love Jesus and I have a, another brother who's a deacon. I got another brother who serves faithfully in the church. I got a sister who loves Jesus. You know what that means for me? Absolutely nothing because I have to choose to follow Jesus. You can have a loving grandmother who prays for you every single day and has angel's wings and when she dies floats up to heaven but that will not save you. Going to a great church like this is awesome. And I show up at a church every single week that preaches the gospel and shares the good news of Jesus, but it will not save you. Only Jesus will save you. So you need to make a decision. What, what will you do with Jesus? And so this woman in this moment, she, she realizes that it's, it's, it's a universal decision that we all have to make, and it's a personal decision that we have to deal with. And when Jesus gave her the message, then she realized that I can continue to try to fill my physical body, but if I don't fill my spiritual soul, I will never be complete. There's a God-shaped void inside of your heart that only Jesus can fill. So he gave her the message, and he offered her a second chance. If we're really honest, he probably offered her a 50-second chance. She'd made so many mistakes. She's like me and you. Come to Jesus over and over again and say, here I am again. I've made it again. I did it again. What happened? Here's, here's where it bursts all the myths that we have in church. If you're a believer in Jesus, I just want to get into your business for just a minute into my business. When we start talking about evangelism, some of you get really nervous. You're like, I'm not an evangelist. I don't have that gift. I, I just, whenever I start talking about Jesus, I feel like my tongue gets tied into knots and I have butterflies, maybe eagles and buzzards flying inside of me and I'm just afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing and I don't know what to do, Pastor. You tell me I should choose one, but I can't even speak to one. And so we think, well, if I can just get the right training or if I can get the right stuff, look what happens. She chooses to follow Jesus. What happens? She runs into town and tells everybody that she can. We're, we're more likely to share a good restaurant in town than we are about the gospel that changed our life. She didn't have any evangelism training. She didn't have any scripture memorized. She didn't have a polished presentation. You know what she had? She had a story. It was her story. Now, granted, it was only 10 minutes old, but she went into town and she said, listen, there's a man named Jesus. 
And he told me everything I'd ever done. I think he's the Messiah. So we, we sometimes think that in church, if, if I'm going to share the gospel, then i, I got to go to evangelism training. And if, and if you get the opportunity, you should be trained. Or you think, i, I got to know 68 different scriptures. I, I went to an evangelism, one time, evangelism training one time. They literally had a, a two-inch, uh, three-ring binder of stuff. And I thought, good Lord, I barely passed the driving test. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to memorize all this stuff. Listen, you know what you have that no one can ever take away from you? is your story. And I can tell you, my story is, as a young boy, I, I heard the gospel message in a revival meeting, and I went down front and, and told them that I wanted to choose Jesus that night. My dad and my mom took me into the bedroom in my house, and I knelt by my bed, and I prayed to receive Jesus. That's my story. It's real. I remember it. That was a long time ago. But I remember it as if it was today. Why? Because it's my story. And my story doesn't go, hey, I, I went, you know, did all these crazy things. And I mean, I grew up in a preacher's house. I didn't get away with many things, right? Everybody was watching me. But here's what I do know is that I have a story of faithfulness. God being faithful to me, me, me making a lot of mistakes along the way, but God never left me. He never, he saw in me what I could never see in myself. I was not a perfect person. I made a ton of mistakes. But it's my story. You have a story. If you come to Jesus, you have a story. Just like this woman, 10 minutes old. Her story's 10 minutes old, and she runs back to town, and she tells everybody. The church didn't say, whoa, 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 whoa. you got to take this class. you got to go do this thing. you got to have a printed track. Listen, your story is what people really want to hear. Honestly, I'd rather hear your story than a polished presentation because it's real. It's what you're doing. It's what you're experiencing. It's what God is doing. So when we talk about who's your one, listen, I'm not asking for you to lead 19 million people to Christ because none of us can do that. But I can work on one, and you can work on one. How would it change the face of New Beginnings Baptist Church in Gilmer if all of us begin to share Christ with one? You know what would happen? Revival would break out here. People would be getting saved all the time. Lives would be changed. The, the marriages would be rescued. Uh, stray people going out into the, the highways and the hedges doing things they shouldn't be doing would come back to Jesus. That's what would happen. I, I can't do a million, but I can do one. You know who my one is? My one is my neighbor. <laughs> he comes home from work in his pickup truck. He drives up to his garage, and I'm convinced that he runs in because I can never catch him. I mean, he, I'm not, I know you look at me and think, man, I bet he's fast. I'm not fast, but he, he runs in. Literally, the garage is closing behind him, but here's what I know from his life. I don't see any evidence of a belief in Jesus Christ. So if I live beside him, and we do life together, even if it's just passing on the road, and I don't ever share Jesus with him, what kind of neighbor am I? What kind of friend am I? E even if we didn't have anything else in common, if I don't get the opportunity to share Christ with him, wh what am I doing? Now, now here's the great thing. God, my, my story is my story. Your story is your story. We're not responsible for saving people. That's the job of God. Jesus saves people. It's my job to tell my story. 
So he may punch me in the face. He may use some vulgar language. He may tell me to get off his property. You know, he, we, we all got guns in Texas, so you got to be careful how you approach people. But I don't know how he's going to react, but I'm praying for him because I believe that he's my one. And maybe it's a, somebody in your life, a friend, a neighbor, a family member, somebody you work with, somebody who you do business with. I don't know where it is, but who's your one? You've you got to be thinking about it. How, how do we do it? Number one, we've got to see people. The example is what Jesus gave us. He saw the people. He was interruptible. He was willing to invest in people's lives. Secondly, he was willing to know them. Listen, before I can share Christ with my neighbor, I may have to become his friend. But please, please be Please be careful and listen to me. Some people say, well, my witness is how I live. Listen, if your witness is how you live and you don't ever talk about Jesus, then you haven't finished the, the sale. You haven't, you haven't completed the conversation. Unless you're really holy and God just emits out of you. Uh, the Bible says if you get like that, then you get a free ride to heaven on a chariot. So if you're still here, you got to talk about it. What we got to do is not only live it out, but we got to talk about it. We got to be willing to know some people. And then we got to tell them that Jesus is the only one that saves. Man, I, I, I hope you love your church. I hope you talk about it all the time. But Jesus is the one who saves. And this is a place where people can find salvation in Christ. So we need to begin by seeing people. We need to begin by investing in their lives so that we have the opportunity to talk to them about the fact that Jesus is the only way. How do we do that? Man, use any evangelism tool you want. I, I, they all work, so use whatever you want. But if you need to, just use your story. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I can memorize a bunch of verses. Listen, everybody's phone, you can, get a, you can get a Bible on your phone. I don't know if you can memorize stuff, but if you can memorize one verse, you can memorize a verse that's enough. That's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Tell that in your story and that's all you need. We can memorize the, the words to a country song, but we can't memorize God's word that changed our life. Who's your one? Think about it. Pray about it. Invest in someone's life. Share the gospel. I want to say this in closing. For some of you, you, you know you, you, you follow Jesus and you need to choose your one. And I want to encourage you to pray about who that is. Several people on my way out in the other services told me about who their one was. You need to think about who your one is. But if you're here this morning and you don't have a story and you don't know Jesus, you've never experienced forgiveness, you've never experienced the amazing grace of the Heavenly Father, if you've never asked Jesus to come in to be your Lord and Savior, then John 3.16 has got your name written all over it. It says, for God so loved the world. The world is us, every single one of us, everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, greatest gift he could ever give to down the cross for our sins that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 10 written by the Apostle Paul says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, I love that. I'm not real smart but everyone means everyone. <laughs> it means that if I'm willing to bow my heart in front of a holy God 
admit my sin and ask Jesus to forgive me and come into my life, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter what your family background is. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going. If you're here today and you need Jesus, let me just tell you something. You're in a room full of friends who would want nothing more than to see you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ today and to get your story started right now. So if that's you, listen, it doesn't matter. Remember, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It only matters what God thinks. And so if you're here today and you need Jesus, I want to pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the good news of the gospel that says that you are waiting on us. Lord, I just pray for men, women, boys and girls, teenagers, young adults, older adults, grandmothers, grandfathers, uncles, aunts, people in this room who need to do business with you today. Lord, I just believe that you're putting the faces of people on our hearts today who need to know Jesus that are our one. God, I pray that you would just convict us of our need to intersect our lives with those people. Lord, that we begin to pray, invest, and share the gospel with them. Tell our story about what you've done in our lives. Lord, I pray for those people under the sound of my voice today who have never experienced salvation in Christ. They don't have a story. They don't have a story that includes forgiveness and grace. Their, their past is has been filled with things that would not satisfy them, and today they need to choose Jesus. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give them courage right now, that the moment that I end this prayer, Lord, that they'll step out, come take one of these friends by the hand, and say, today is the day I need Jesus. I know it's scary, but Lord, I pray that you give them courage and be willing, that they be willing to step out and make their first step towards you today. Lord, I know that when I did that, that it changed my whole life. God, I pray that for my friends today who need to choose Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the cross. We pray that you do work in this moment today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing, if you need to do business with God, you come right now. If you need to come and pray at this altar, you need to come and choose to follow Jesus. Don't wait on anybody else. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. You choose to follow Jesus right now.